Hello, and welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, some interesting news from Atlassian, including the release of the Stride API. We'll take a look at some news from our partner ecosystem, including an interesting post from C Prime, and a look into some blogs that have been making the rounds, including one from Atlassian that we think you'll find really interesting. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, hi there. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So, on to Atlassian news. Very interesting thing on TechCrunch this past week. Atlassian has released the API for Stride to all developers. And for those who haven't heard about this, Stride was announced at Summit last year in the U.S. It is uh, it's the replacement of HipChat, effectively. You know, someday, uh, you know, HipChat will will go the way of the dodo. Stride will replace it. And HipChat is dead. Live HipChat forever through Stride. <laughs> uh, I, I'm really excited about one of the specific features of Stride, and that and this is because I just came back from vacation. Um, they have this thing where it, it focuses a review for you. So mm-hmm. I think that feature yeah, built in actions yeah, and decisions, things decisions, like that, yeah. things that are relevant to, to what I'm, I missed. And what's nice about this API thing is that it means that we or others could write things that hook into that, that present things differently that, you know, um, that call it up and, and we'll have the blog post linked in the, in the, in the notes, but they've got like a nice little gif of like, Here's how you could create something. Uh, it's it's pretty slick looking. And this has been in use for a while. It's been in beta for a while. It sounds like it's going well. I know that I would certainly be interested to see um, what comes out of the ecosystem from this API release. Some more Atlassian news. There is a new issue view in Jira that is rolling through the cloud, like ghost riders in the sky. So, um, first of all, I'm old and curmudgeonly, and I've been using Jira for 11 years. Um, it's going to take me forever to get used to the new view. Um, now that I've gotten that off my chest, I think this is actually going to be really, really nice. Um, they've done a really good job going through and organizing the view, laying things out, cleaning things up. One of the, one of the big complaints that we get about Jira is, oh, there's, there's so much stuff. I can't find anything. Where, what, what am I doing? Um, so that's definitely going to be a, a huge improvement. I think, um, I'm also really happy about consolidating view and edit. Um, one thing that I do on a fairly regular basis requires me to edit a description, which I edit in line. And then I remember, oh yes, I also have to edit a field, which means I have to close out of my description, go up and edit the issue and find the field. And I could have done it all at once. And it's just going to save me a lot of time. Um, first world problems. Yes, I know. Um, but I do think that the uh, the new changes are really going to be very nice. I like the drop-down menus for statuses. I like the unification of the UI across all the different Atlassian products. I'm really excited about all these changes. I'm less excited that, like so many other things, it's starting in cloud, and who knows when it will ever reach server. Uh, we actually had a realization yesterday. We're, we're writing some documentation and training on Jira, and Jira Server 7.8 still doesn't have the new Atlassian logos. Like, let alone these beautiful info in, uh, interface changes. We don't even have, like, the new logos that launched six months ago. So all, I'm, in good, I'm, all in good time. 
I'm anxious for it to reach server because it, it does look beautiful. It is worth noting as well that these changes, even if you're on cloud, they're not going to hit everyone at once. They this is a rolling True. change, and this brings up some of the the one of the major differences between the cloud and server slash data center products. But, you know, and as we were discussing prior to the episode, Brenda was pointing out some customers have to be in the cloud. Uh, it gives you good disaster recovery options. It, it makes sure it's off site in case, you know, Mount St. Helens erupts or something like that. So, you you know, you're, you're you know, maybe your office is destroyed, but thank goodness all of our Jira issues are OK. Yeah, I could not uh, imagine the no. inverse being true. <laughs> so if that's a, a challenge for you, though, if you're if you want that that security and safety of having things backed up and they're in the cloud and they're, they're in multiple geographic locations. Um, but you want a bit more stability. There's always managed services options, uh, which of course you can visit adaptivist.com about, and that gets you a nice sort of uh, intermediary step or, or it gets you all the benefits of being in the cloud with a bit more of the, the stability and uh, sort of upgrade planning, you know, being able to schedule that out and, ma- and do that change management. So, Matthew, a moment ago, you mentioned the length of time it takes to get from one thing to another. Well, how about the news that in Jira Server 7.7, there is a priority scheme? It was noted that the priority scheme was requested in a Jira ticket that we will link in our um, in our SoundCloud description of, of this podcast. Yeah, so Ryan there is referring to the ticket number. So for those of you familiar with Jira, every issue has a unique key and the JRA server project for Atlassian, because of course Atlassian is a fairly transparent company. They put all their stuff public. You can go out and see their backlog. You can see all the issues that are out there. Priorities per project uh, was requested back in May of 2004. Uh, and here, you know, January 2018 is when this this post went out, and uh, some people are now upgrading to 7.7. We have it. I, I'm guessing Atlassian's strategy was that somebody needed to have a kid, and that kid needed to grow up and learn how to program, and now they're a teenager, they've written the, the priority release. Um, so thank goodness. Thank goodness for that person. Um, not, which, obviously, kidding. I, I get the impression it actually was somewhat complicated, and for those of you who are planning on upgrading to 7.7, you're anxious to get this 14-year-old feature, just beware, we have seen some instances where uh, if you've got some customization, if you're making API calls if, you know, through webhooks or something else, uh, be sure to test it on staging first. We have seen a number of things that break because in addition to just adding priorities, it changed some stuff in the API. And as somebody who doesn't work in the API, I'm not familiar with all those things, but I, I have seen where some things have broken. We've had to do some troubleshooting. While the priority schemes are the big exciting feature, um, I, I got really excited just about being able to paste images into descriptions. Um, mm. It's a minor thing, but that really jumped out at me. Um, as, as someone who would prefer to have a lot of rich information sometimes in my JIRA issues, um, just, I mean, it's been in Confluence forever. Let's get that into JIRA. So I was excited about that. Speaking of exciting features, there's the global commit hash search in Bitbucket Server 5.8. And that's another new release worth looking at. Yeah. Uh, Another good thing to upgrade, uh, in particular, if you are on Bitbucket Data Center, uh, you've got a a larger infrastructure network, something more complex. Um, Those of you in the networking sector, you you hopefully have been planning for IPv6 for the last decade or so. And Bitbucket 5.8 does add IPv6 support. 
Uh, so something to be aware of. It's not going to make a, a big difference today, but it's going to be very helpful in the future. And for those of you who read the uh, Bitbucket Server 5.8 release notes, um, you'll notice that they were posted on February 15th. Um, the first paragraph starts with, we love updates to search. And the first sentence is, just in time to miss Valentine's Day completely. Um, it just was a nice little touch of self-deprecating humor on those release notes, which are very often kind of dry. They're a little dry. Um, and um, I, I just, whoever wrote Whoever wrote that, kudos to you. Yeah. Good one for getting that one past marketing, as it were. All right. So that brings us to uh, the end of the Atlassian news for this, uh, this, two, this biweekly period. But if you've got questions about some of the things that we covered or you're interested in learning more about upgrading any of your Atlassian products, feel free to reach out to us at learn at adaptivist.com. If we, can't, if we can't point you in the right direction, we'll definitely connect you with someone who can, uh, can help you out. So we want to look into some partner news. And the first thing that we, we have to talk about is from C-Prime. And they've got a blog post, which might not be a, a very popular title, but it's A Woman's Place is in the Scrum Team and Not the Kitchen. Ha- having an actual woman on our podcast today, that's, that's you, Brenda. I feel like this is a bit of a They Might Be Giants song. Yeah, right? Actual podcasting woman is actual size. Thanks. Thanks for the validation that I am an yeah. actual woman. Well, I mean, yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm I know. it's already it's already an awkward enough title. I it's, don't know. It's it's an awkward title. It's it's a very awkward title. Um, but it brings up some important stuff. It does bring up some important stuff, and you know, I've I've been working full time in tech um, for 15 years, and seeing the numbers in this blog post. You know, in in 1995. Um, women hold held 37% of computer science jobs. Um, currently we're showing 24% and that's very discouraging. Um, and it's as, as a, as a woman in tech, um, I've had a lot of experiences that I know exactly why that is. Um, you know, there, there are so many times where, you know, made a suggestion on something and been completely shot down only to have a male colleague repeat it verbatim and be told, wow, that's a great idea. Um, I've, I've had so many experiences in tech that have been so discouraging. There have been so many times where I've been like, I should just get out of this industry altogether. Um, so it, it was very interesting to me to read through um, just, just sort of, you know, there's value, there's so much value in diversity of opinion, diversity of team makeup, and the blog post highlights, you know, when, when there's women on the team, men tend to be more generous. I don't, I don't know how true that is. I do know that I like teams that are more of a mix of male and female because we bring different perspectives to the table. And, and so, yes, absolutely. You know, your scrum team should have women on it, but, but really when, when you're doing a thing, you should include women on it. You know, you get a lot more uh, richness and value out of what you're building when your team is diverse. And I'm, I'm not talking just about gender diversity, but also ethnicity and, and so on and so forth. You know, the more diverse your team is, the better your product is going to be. One thing that pops to mind immediately is facial recognition, which works really well on white men and not so great on people who are not white men. But can it tell the difference between Matthew and I? Because I don't I'm know if it pretty, can. It, as, a matter of, as a matter of fact, my iPhone cannot tell you two apart. Um, <laughs> 
So I'm, I'm just going to say when I have photos of you guys, you, I have to go through and tell my iPhone, no, these, these are not the same person. So, so the article, you know, it's, it's talking about specifically having women on a scrum team. My, my thinking is that really the discussion is larger than that, of course, you know, women on tech teams in general. Um, and, and there's, there's so many things, this could be an entire podcast episode, but there are so many things that are, are just better when you have that diverse makeup of your teams. Yes, women are great problem solvers. We generally communicate well, and I'm not saying that men aren't great problem oh, solvers no. and don't communicate well. But maybe things go more smoothly. I would, I, I'm actually now interested in looking up some of the research on makeup of a team actually affect the output or anything. Uh, so it, it's an interesting article. It's interesting to think about. Very interesting, interesting thing to talk about. Um, and definitely something that's worth examining, especially in the larger context of the experience of women in technology. I kind of think, you know, in a, on a sociological level, and I don't mean sociological in the sense of we live in the United States. I think it is a United States issue. It's a global issue. But in the tech society, um, for us, one of the things this article notes and that I've observed is uh, investing in people at a young age. So, you know, why do we, why, why has the number of women dropped in technology? It's, that's super complex. It's hard to say. But I suspect that we're probably not doing a good job at, you know, elementary and secondary levels of education of encouraging investment in science, technology, engineering, math for young girls. One of the things that we've observed here in the Springfield office for Adaptivist, we've got an internship program. And uh, one of my colleagues, Johnny Carter, is interviewing a bunch of people for the upcoming round of internships. And he was asked by uh, you know, one of our, our uh, other colleagues here in the office, you know, you have many female applicants. And he said he, he actually did. He had a good number. But part of that is because last semester he was teaching a college class and he really encouraged his female students. He encouraged everybody, but he was encouraging people to apply and just say, yes, you can absolutely do this. Yes, you should come. And so he's got a really good group of applicants. And I think that just sort of highlights it's, it's, we've got to do a better job of communicating to everybody and particularly to our kids, uh, what they are capable of and what they can do and, and how open the, the world is to them. Can someone communicate that to my kids? Cause I don't think I'm doing a great job of it. <laughs> I, I saw your I'd Lego be happy to. And, and Ryan, you, you give yourself some credit. You do Lego league. Your daughters are involved in that and they're building robots and doing all kinds of cool it's, stuff. I was, you know, I was making a, a, a half joke there, but, but that's the type of thing we need to do more of. And I Absolutely. think that's great. And, and Johnny's mindfulness of that, of, of seeing outside of himself and looking for, and looking to encourage different people to not only apply, but to engage with the topic is, is huge. Um, and we will probably come back to this topic at some point, but we've got a bit, a, a few nuggets of adaptivist news that we would like to share with you. First, comes some news from our Confluence add-on division, where our content formatting macros have been updated to include templates, because we saw that content formatting users were using a few things and then feeling maybe a little overwhelmed by the availability of, of options. So we built in these Confluence templates from different um, areas, including finance, blog templates, multi-page journey templates that help you use the template product and give you some really nice functionality right out of the box. 
So there's there's six new templates that have been released, and and one of the ones that I I personally am very excited about is the space homepage um, template. Um, one thing that that often gets neglected in Confluence is the homepage. It's really easy to create a space. It's really easy to get in there and start creating your content. It's really easy to forget that people are going to land on that homepage, and they're you know it, it's one of those things that tends to get forgotten. We'll come back to it, um, and really you know especially if you're doing something like creating a company intranet or an external facing documentation site, that space homepage is really important. And being able to really format um, and, and add a lot more styling to it, you're going to have an opportunity to really improve what people see when they land on that space homepage. The, the other templates are fantastic as well. You know, software requirements, academic, there's, there's really cool stuff in this release. And lastly, on the adaptivist front, some news that we're very, very proud to share we are one of the top 100 best small companies to work for in 2018. This was a survey in the UK, so uh, we can't really speak worldwide, but uh, huh? the United Kingdom is is still that's that's pretty large. And this is the Sunday Times, so this is a this is a big deal that we're quite proud of, and not just top 100. Uh, we're actually in the top 40, which was pretty cool. This is the first time we've been in this, and it's entirely based on employee survey submissions. So like we didn't like r- review these. We have no idea what people said. We didn't know what was going to happen. And it wasn't even pressed that hard. Like you, you would think that there'd be like people, you know, people from the HR department just whipping people to fill out the survey. <laughs> they didn't. It was like one or two times they said, Hey, there's this survey. We would love it if you took it. And it resulted in this. And speaking for myself, um, though this was UK based, I would say that we're the number one company to work for in the US. But that's because I love it. So we're very proud of this. Absolutely agree. <laughs> it's been pretty good. You can and you know you can see this on Glassdoor as well. People tend to be pretty happy here. Uh, if you want to learn more, visit joinadaptivist.com. Uh, that website is currently being revised. Uh, so it will, uh, we'll have a new joinadaptivist.com in the not too distant future. But if you check it out soon, you can see Ryan and I looking very similar on a video <laughs> talking about how great adaptivist is. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't put the outtakes in that video. <sighs> All right. Away from partner news, we found some blog posts that we thought were really interesting. And the first one that we want to talk about for just a minute is how Trello helped Atlassian reinvent their approach to individual growth. And of course, you'll find all the links to topics we've discussed today in the SoundCloud description for this this podcast. But this blog is really worth reading because it looks like Atlassian used their new tool in a major way. So I'm, I'll admit that I'm not using Trello to its full potential. I've had a Trello account for years and years and years. Um, it's a wonderful tool, but I... I tend to live in Jira and I want everything to be in Jira. And so if I'm doing something that relates to my team, I want to put it in Jira. So I tend to lean toward Kanban boards in Jira. Um, but I really like this approach to employee development in general, um, especially in a rapid growth environment. This is something we're experiencing at Adaptivist. We're growing very, very rapidly. We're actually in the process of working through something that, that is turning out to be very similar to what Atlassian is implementing uh, for our 
developing our employees and, and managing performance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we, we're actually building that in JIRA. Using Trello the way Atlassian is, is doing, it gives it a really great, it's easy to see, the, the visuals have been well-designed. Um, so it's a nice, clear visualization of, of an individual's progress through that development program. Um, and, and again, because ours is independently turning out to be very similar, I obviously really like the way Atlassian structuring their program. Um, so for me, it's been more about the contents of that development program and less about how we manage it. But I think using Trello or Jira, both would be really great approaches to doing something like this. And it's really critical in a rapid growth environment that you have something like that for your employees, um, just because things are changing so fast and people are joining so rapidly and there's so many new people every day. So it's really good to have that all organized and well thought through and ready for that new starter on day one of, okay, here's what you're going to be doing. One of the things I like about doing this in Trello is it makes it really easy for the board to be shared between the employee and their line manager, and that's it. Uh, Jira is really geared towards teamwork, which is awesome, but um, it makes it a, a bit more difficult to just on the fly create something between two people. So in my team, we actually use Trello for our one-to-one meetings. Um, I do a, a monthly one-to-one with everybody. My line manager has a, a one-to-one board with me. And we can have that be part of a group in Trello, but then the boards are restricted where just the two of us can see it. And um, I really like that. One of the things I'm curious about with how Atlassian does this, they, they mentioned in the article that they've got a, sort of a board template with a bunch of cards on it, and you can copy that and then customize it for yourself. Um, and I'm, it, it sort of looks to me like maybe they've got a bunch of cards and then you just archive the cards you don't need. But it, it makes me wonder about designing this and building these paths and, and you know, the, what they call their growth plans. Um, designing that in Trello in a way that keeps it from getting too messy uh, or too long. Because that is one of the challenges with Trello versus Jira is, is it's easy to add too much to Trello. And it, it becomes hard to keep organized because it's, it's, it is designed to for short lists. Uh, and Trello has actually talked about in the past, the, the Trello devel- developers and designers the reason that uh, you can only see so many cards on a screen you have to scroll is actually to encourage you to not keep that many cards. And if you're developing a, a year-long or a multi-year growth plan, which is how I tend to work, I tend to think it's unreasonable to expect you to make huge changes in six months while we're doing other work. But let's talk about where you want to be in two or three years. Um, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I love Trello. I use it a lot. Um, and I like this sort of personalized one-to-one aspect that it provides. Um, and the other benefit is, you know, with, with a, a personal development plan like this, you don't really need the massive reporting like you get in Jira. You don't need the automation. It's really to facilitate a conversation and communication. So I thought this was cool. I, I enjoyed the article. Speaking of facilitating conversation versus inspiring, perhaps, action, we've got our last topic of the day, a blog from Service Rocket, which talks about how Jira can reflect or influence how your team works. Uh, and they talk about how you can you can engineer or set up your instance of Jira to do one or the other. Matthew, you had some interesting thoughts on that. Yeah, and one of the things that I like that they mention in in this article is that it's really a mental model. You know, for me, the the most important work actually happens outside of the tools. It's the communication between people. But what Service Rocket is getting at in this piece is that the way you configure your tool can influence your communication and the way that your team interacts. And so what they identify is that within a a scrum team or really, you know, any team, but they do focus on scrum here in the daily scrum, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about three different things or your daily standup. You're going, what did I do yesterday? 
what am I doing today? And what blockers do I have? What's getting in my way? If you're, if you're sort of reflecting, then you're looking at the stuff that you've got in progress or that's near completed. Um, and you're looking at the board and you're looking at, at just the status of things and where they're at. Um, and you're looking back a little bit. If you move towards a more influence model, uh, you start focusing more on the team instead of the individual. You're focused less on what's assigned to me and what's the status of my stuff. And you're focused more on what's going on in the sprint overall. Um, how am I in advancing the goals of the group? How am I advancing the goals of the sprint instead of just the goals of my stories? How are we working better together? And it's not that one of these is, is better than the other. Either approach is valid. Um, but I just, I thought that was interesting and worth thinking about like everything in scrum. I think the most important thing is to take it to the team and communicate and talk about how you want to work. But service rocker provides some JQL examples. They provide some, some guidance for if you want to, you know, think about this influence model, maybe look at your, your filters a little bit differently and, and start thinking about what's going on in the team as a whole. And we, we have that communication instead of just focused on what am I doing and what do I need to get done? Great insight, Matthew. So, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this week's edition of the podcast, please feel free to share it wherever you feel like it would do the most good. If you have suggestions for the podcast or you want to have a bit of your news featured, please send it to us at learn at adaptivist.com. Interested in joining one of the 100 best small companies to work for in the UK? Visit joinadaptivist.com. UK citizenship not required. You could live in... Anywhere in Europe, we've got people in the Netherlands, people in Spain. Uh, we've hired people in South America, people in Canada and the U.S. We hire people wherever there are good people. We care more about the person than where they live. So for Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you again soon on Adaptivist Live. Indeed. I'm Brenda Burl, and I approve this message. You can cut that out. I don't know what you're waiting for. Well, just, you know, some sort of approval. Jeez. Jeez.